voice the colors. Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. Welcome in to a Thursday, November 2nd edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is a basketball-slash-football edition of the show. We are going to be talking East Carolina basketball as we are just four days away from tip-off inside Menji's Coliseum. The Pirates set to open their 2023-24 season against Ferrum College. We'll break down that game as much as we can. Still don't have a uh, scouting report on Ferrum. We'll also visit with Corey Glore, former ECU baseball play-by-play announcer and now Tulane Athletics play-by-play voice later in the program around 12.30 to get a scouting report on the Tulane Green Wave and to catch up with Corey Glore, one of our great friends in the business. Miss him a lot, but always good to catch up with him on weeks like this. But we are starting today talking basketball. We've got Kaysen Romaley in studio and Kaysen watched some college basketball last night. We have had some fun shows where we've had some NC State players joining the live feed because Kaysen grew up with some of those guys. And you were in Raleigh last night to watch some scrimmage Mount Olive. And it sounds like they had some troubles with the uh, the Mount Olive. I don't even know what their mascot Spartans. is. The Spartans. So it was a, it was a high-scoring <clears throat> game, right? Uh, it was a high-scoring game, yes. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, NC State – Defeated Mount Olive last night, seven eighty nine to seventy nine. They were up twenty for most of the game. Then towards the end, it wasn't that great. But I mean, it's exhibition. It's a scrimmage. I've harped on before that all of these don't really mean much. It's exhibition, yes, you can say, "Oh my gosh, Mount Olive, you should be in about hundred. But at the end of the day, it's a scrimmage. Basically, it doesn't count. So, and if you're a coach, you're trying to figure out different lineups what works, what doesn't, who can play together, who can't. And I feel like even though Monday for East Carolina will be a live game, it is a regular season game for ECU, we've been informed for Ferrum it will be an exhibition, will not count for their real record. So I don't really know what that means, but it'll count towards ECU's record. It will not count against the net rankings. So if ECU is in a position where they're Trying to make an at-large berth, this game won't impact that either way because Ferrum is a Div- Division Three program. But I would think going into Monday for Mike Schwartz, you're able to kind of use this as an exhibition. I mean, it should be an opportunity to really get a lot of guys playing time. I would expect everybody on the roster to play. Yes, 100%. It's basically essentially another scrimmage, in my opinion, just with just with fans, just with people, just with noise. And I think the only way that this game affects – our shot at a tournament or even a look is if we put maybe like 100 on them. If we beat them like 100 to 40, then then maybe some people around the country be like, oh, wow, this ECU team just put up 100 points. Yes, it's a D3 team, but 100 points is 100 points. So basically, like I said, it's like another scrimmage, but just with noise. So, What are your – let's start We'll start with expectations for Monday. And, uh, you know, again, we expect ECU to win. If not, it's going to be a, uh, a disappointing loss. What do you expect to see from a starting lineup perspective? Do you have any idea where Mike Schwartz may go? I think it'll be a similar lineup to last year. I think it's going to be Jaden at one. Hopefully, I don't know if Bobby's going to play or not. I know nothing. We don't. Me and Steven know nothing on that. But 
I just got feeling Jaden at one, RJ two, Quentin three, and then Brandon and Ezra. Yeah, and that was the that was the starting lineup for Purple in the live scrimmage we saw, right? The starting Yes. So yes. that was kinda at yes. that time your number one team. Bobby Pettiford didn't play in that scrimmage. He's been nursing a hamstring injury. He has practiced a little bit, did not play in the Providence scrimmage, did not play in the Davidson scrimmage, of course. I have not heard anything on Cam Hayes. And uh, we are set to talk to Mike Schwartz Sunday afternoon to preview the Ferrum game. So we will ask at that time, you know, is there an update on Cam Hayes? Is there an update on Bobby Pettiford? I don't know if, if he'll know any more then. But, you know, you, you shouldn't need those guys to beat Ferrum regardless. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a, a situation where if Pettiford can't go, Jaden Walker is going to start at the point. And you don't really need Bobby Pettiford in a game like this. So if he's nowhere near 100%, I think you sit him out. And uh, I don't know. When you, when you go into Monday's game, Kaysen, what are you hoping to see? Like, wh- what can we really take from this game? I don't know. But what are you at least hoping to see from, from the opener? Well, I think that the staff's been harping all year. And with the addition of Adams, I think that Farum honestly should not be able to score. I honestly think you're a D3 program playing against – Mark Adams and Michael and Schwartz, who, I mean, they harp on defense, defense, defense. So I think that Farum should have a hard time scoring. And I think that I hope ECU puts up around 80. I think I think if they put around 80, 89, that will be probably a season high, honestly, in my opinion. And I don't think Farum should score over 40. Farum College last year, looking at their numbers, they went 10 and 17. Five and seventeen in uh, or five and eleven, excuse me, in their conference, and uh, don't really recognize any of these teams. I'm looking at it. it; looks like they didn't play any Division One teams last year, and gave up a lot of points. So, I would think this uh, this is going to be quite the challenge for them. And I just, you know, I, I don't have a scouting report. I don't really know what to expect there. Again, it's kind of a, a warm up game for them. And so they'll probably come in excited, I'm sure, but really with nothing to lose. Is there an individual player you're watching on Monday just to see if they've kind of made a leap? Yeah, Valentino Pinedo, first person off the bench. You think he's the first person off the bench? I know he's going to be. Book it right now. Isn't that right, Philip? Sorry, I was talking to Michael. What's up? Valentino, first person off the bench on Monday. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Don't forget it. Yep. (sighs) It's Monday, first person. I'm going to say – I'm going to say Ben Baela and Val are the first off the bench. Okay. Maybe funny. Caleb account too. Maybe they should go line change and go all three of those guys. I yeah. could with it be the first game. I could definitely see them going eight deep after the first substitution, probably at the under-16 media. Speaking of line changes, last night at the NC State game, starters, oof, not a great first four minutes. Yeah. Get them all five out of there. Uh, Schwartz just sent that message in the past, yes, too. Yes, we have, we have seen that before, and – I am, and I'm a big fan of that. I love the platoon changes. I remember Kentucky, I think it was in 2016, did it. They had the white team and the blue team, mm-hmm. and it was just crazy. You had, like, Devin Booker on the white team, not not starting, coming off the bench. And that and it's not popular now as college basketball, but I right. love the platoon swaps. I love that. And if you're going to be able to do it, it would be in a game like this. Uh, Pirates, I don't even think there will be a line for this game, and uh should be interesting. So what did you make? All right, so ECU this preseason – they scrimmaged Davidson and they scrimmaged Providence and they uh, they lost to Davidson. What was it? A couple a couple points. Five. Yeah, five points. Didn't play great on the road. It sounded like. Um, 
And then they beat Providence in overtime, according to reports out there. The game was tied at a 70-70 at the end of regulation, and then it sounds like they basically played kind of walk-ons and bench players on both sides for the for the overtime period. So Providence is projected to be a bubble NCAA tournament team, and I think Davidson picked towards the latter part of the Atlantic 10, which is a very good conference um, in basketball, but you know Providence would be the better team on paper. But it seemed like ECU played pretty well against Providence, and I think they're you know what do you, what do you make of that? I think there's some some positives to take from that. Yeah, and like I said, for, I don't take too much from scrimmages because right. because scrimmages are for coaches to test lineups, to test to test sets. So yes, it was great they beat they beat Providence, but also one thing that I wanted to know was when I found out they were going to play Providence was how many Bryce Hopkins is going to have for Providence because. I'll say this right now. Bryce Hopkins is the best player that team's going to face all year, and it's not even close. There is not a player they're going to play this year that has the ability of, like, Bryce Hopkins. And, yes, he had 21, but, I mean, he's going to be an All-American, first, second team All-American draft pick. So I think that I wish I could have saw who was guarding him, how they were guarding him, just because I want to see how they guard a star player because you're going to run into a couple this this upcoming year. And just like we talked about for the show, UNC Wilmington's Trezarian White last night have 42 points versus Coker. So that's what I want to see because I think this team plays good group defense. They have great help defense. I saw it in their little scrimmage, and also we saw it last year. But I think that with on-ball versus star, sometimes they got ate up last year with Tyler Harris scoring a bunch and other players. So Don't remind me of Tyler Harris. He is my least favorite player just because he just killed ECU between Memphis and South Florida every time he played the Pirates. Uh, Ezra Asar, it was Asar, it was it was reported. I think he had twenty six seven and three steals. So you wonder, you know, was he going against Hopkins head to head at all, or you know, how encouraging is it that he scored that many? It sounded like he struggled a little bit versus Davidson, so that had to be encouraging. Yes, I I I'm I don't think. Just from my knowledge, I don't think Hopkins was guarding him. I think Hopkins is more of a Hopkins is more of a three. Yes, he's right. six nine, six eight, but they put him at the three there, and I think that is just huge for Ezra. And it's also a huge confidence boost. I mean, going out there doing that against Providence. Yes, it's a scrimmage, and yes, they were without some starters, but so was also ECU. But it's just a big confidence boost, and I think I think that's the big takeaway from the scrimmage is the confidence boost. You beat a solid Big East program. Yes, Kim English first year. But Providence is still Providence. This right. This is a good win. Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think it's got to be a confidence boost. And, you know, it sounds like Brandon Johnson had a double-double. R.J. Felton scored 10. And so you would love to see a full box score. You know, Jamie Shaw put the numbers out there, so we got the numbers we got. And, uh, you know, that that's more than a lot of these scrimmages, even though there are secret scrimmages. The numbers tend to get leaked, leaked. No such thing as a secret scrimmage in 2023. And it is true. So, and I'm sure with with English and uh, Schwartz's relationship, ECU will return the scrimmage to Providence next year, most likely. And uh, we'll see. You know, that's a, that's a good good preseason scrimmage. I mean, that's a good barometer. So I, I like that matchup. And Davidson's also a solid solid scrimmage as well. So we're previewing East Carolina's first week in college basketball. Again, the women will open up at Elon, so that'll be a big game for them on Monday as well. We'll be monitoring the Pirate. Men will then return home on Saturday to host the Campbell Fighting Camels in the second game of the season. 
and that'll be a uh, more of a, a true litmus test as uh, Campbell last year, I believe, faced ECU in Mike Schwartz's first year. They played him close. And it was a good game. They also played State close last very, year. Very, close, yes. So Campbell this year, they opened with Navy on Monday night in Bowie's Creek, so we'll be monitoring that game. But I think we'll know a lot more about Campbell. They've got a good coach. They are a solid program. I think we'll know a lot more about ECU, I should say, after they play Campbell on Saturday. So, you know, ECU will be favored in both games, Ferrum and Campbell, but I expect Campbell to be the much more competitive contest. Yes, for sure, 100%. And um, I was there at the game last year, I think, and they're, they've are they they've always just been a solid, a solid program there. And I remember when me and you were at the Cincinnati game, I was watching the State game versus Campbell, and I checked with three minutes left, and State Campbell were tied. And I'm pretty sure they returned a lot of that team back. And it's, it's going to be a good test on Saturday if you don't want to watch ECU football. So you can just tune in there. Yeah, it'll be same same start time, 4 o'clock, ECU at FAU in football. That'll be on ESPN+. Plus, and the Campbell game will also be on ESPN+. Plus in Greenville. So I guess if you really want to get uh, complicated or follow Pirate Sports, go to the game in Minji's and pull up the FAU game on ESPN+. Plus in your, on your phone. Really excited to see what the home atmosphere is like this year, Kaysen. We were at the scrimmage. Just the the bleachers have been replaced on one side with the purple chairs, around 400-plus purple chairs in the lower section. It just looks so much better, man. I think it's going to really come across so much better on TV, the new lighting, and I'm, I'm really excited to see how that looks. I'm looking forward to it, too. I mean, I think the addition was great, and the, and the lights make it look so much better. It's not as dark in there. It's more bright, more vibrant. And I think I honestly think our atmosphere this year is going to be like that Houston game for most, for most of the games, as honestly it should be. And I think that non-commerce are going to have some ups and downs in, in attendance because, look, let's be honest, fans don't want to come 7 o'clock on a Tuesday night to see Maryland Eastern Shore versus East Carolina. It's just always to it. With Farum, I'm looking at their – depth chart here excuse me their roster looks like six seven they have two six seven players nobody taller than that they have a six eight 213 player for a freshman Jaden Boyd but just not a lot of size so you know what are you expecting from like the the freshman bigs in this game I mean they're going to play it's just I guess it's going to be tough to really get a fair barometer on them yeah because I mean the the talent level in this game is very, 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 very wide and far. And so let's say that let's say that Callum comes in and scores ten and ten and ten and ten. People are going, Oh my gosh. Da, da. But then if you look at it, you're like, he should he should be doing this. He's at a D one school. So I mean, I I'm looking to see the minutes they play because I'm being honest with you, I think that we could start Callum and Sear at four and five. We could still win this game. So I honestly don't know because who knows. Looking at the, their roster, they actually have a decent amount of transfers. University of Baton Olive transfer, Calvin Washington College of the Desert transfer, Campbell transfer, Hagerson Community College transfer, Strat Bryant and Stratton College transfer, Guilford Tech, Coker University, uh, another Mount Olive transfer. So they have gone into the portal heavily. So we'll have to see what Ferrum College presents on Monday again, seven o'clock will be the tip-off time as the Pirates welcome in the uh, the Ferrum College Panthers to Minji's Coliseum for the first matchup of the year. All right, let's get a break in. We'll come back. We will look around 
the American Conference, what to expect week one in college basketball in general. Are there any good games? Spoiler alert, Monday, not really. But later in the week, there are going to be some good matchups, the American included. We'll talk about that on the other side, what we're looking for in terms of the league, what are we going to be paying attention to all preseason, heading into the conference play to see what teams are legit and which are not. We will discuss that, more ECU talk as well on the other side. This is Hoist of Colors. This is ECU head football coach Mike Houston, and you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back in. We've got ECU football talk coming up here shortly. Corey Glor, we'll visit with him, the voice of the Tulane Green Wave, of course. Many of you know him. Having spent time as the voice of ECU baseball and involved with Pirate Athletics for a long time. All right. So, we got Casey Romelli in studio, Philip Pilkington producing. <clears throat> We're going to briefly look around college basketball week one, specifically the American what to expect. There actually are some decent games to be excited about, but it you know the opening day is probably the most anticlimactic thing of college basketball because unless you're Louisville, why is that? Louisville might lose the J.H. Rose on the opening day. That they, they do have a habit of losing to a bunch of no names. They've only lost three D two games in the last four years in scrimmages. That's a great accomplishment. Hang a banner. I'm gonna so I'm gonna go down the list here of um, I've got the ESPN week I've got the ESPN day one schedule college basketball and I'm gonna name every team that doesn't have a logo just to kind of give you guys an idea of who some of these teams are playing. All right, Spalding is traveling to IUPUI, St. Joe's Long Island. There's a program called Fort Lauderdale. They play Troy North American. They go to Stephen F. Austin. Kansas Christian takes on Prairie View A&M. John Jay College battles Pennsylvania. Rivier takes on UMass Lowell. Voorhees, V-O-O-R-H-E-E-S, takes on South Carolina State. Erskine takes on Gardner-Webb. Piedmont takes on Coastal Carolina. Champion Christian, guys, they battle UT Martin. We do know Mount Olive here locally. They battle UNCW. Trinity Baptist, they're at Stetson. Johnson University, Florida. They take on Jacksonville. Malone travels to Kent State. Tacoa Falls is at Charleston Southern Covenant. Not the church here in town, but uh, an actual university, it looks like, or a college. They go to Chattanooga. I don't even know what this is. St. Mary of the... The name is so long, it doesn't even fit on the screen so I'm about to skip that one Penn State Wilkes Bar Immaculata takes on Ryder they're in all caps so I don't know guys this is uh is this gets you fired up for college hoops it does get me fired up and don't forget the barn burner on that Sunday night friends at Wichita State friends friends not the TV show. friends Hey, St. Mary's of the Woods is St. the full Mary's. name of that team. Just looked it up on Indy. They're playing Indiana State, by the way. Wow. St. Mary's of the Woods. Shout out them, man. There's also a school that it's just the acronym is M-A-C-H-R. have no idea who that is, but they're playing Liberty. Coastal Georgia. They're facing North Florida. I didn't know Coastal Georgia was a thing. It's uh, But, hey, this is opening day college basketball. The Pirates, they'll get their – uh, matchup underway with Ferrum. We uh, we know they're from Virginia, and uh, we know they've got 
a season last year where they went 10-17. and 17. There's also a school, by the way, taking on UT Rio Grande Valley called Southwestern Adventist. So, I don't know. I'm looking at another game going on with Jacksonville State. This is until Tuesday, which I know you're talking about Monday. Yeah. But they're playing a team called Brasilla. This sounds like a Spanish soccer team in like third level of Spanish soccer is what that sounds like to me. Brasilla. It's just uh, in, in Virginia Beach is taking on William and Mary. I didn't know Virginia Beach had a college, but I mean, is, I don't know where these schools are. This is getting crazy, man. But hey, this is uh, good stuff. Um, back to basketball. We'll look at the schedule in a minute. Uh, that was a fun exercise. Bubba Pirate wants to know what are Cason's thoughts on Callum Richard's potential as a shot blocker in the American. He said he's thin, but watching his high school tape, he has impeccable timing and anticipation. So, what do you think about Callum Richard and uh, you know Sear Malonga, the other guy? I think he might be, be actually more of the shot blocker. Yeah, I would say Sears more of the uh, defensive player for sure. I know that uh, we've heard before. I've seen it also on film that Callum is a Callum's the more back to the basket scorer, like an old traditional big does. But yes, he was blocking shots in high school. But also look at the level of play he was playing. Wasn't it like Gastonia around that Charlotte? Yeah, area? Gaston Day yeah. was where he's at. So in that area, it's yes, there's good high school basketball around that area. But I mean, this is this is the AAC. I would definitely say that there's going to be some speed bumps going in, but. I think that Callum first needs to beat out Sear because I think Sear is leading that race right, right right now. So I think that, yes, there's going to be some challenges. But also going up against Brandon and Ezra every day in practice is going to skyrocket his development because you're going against two, in my opinion, all-conference players. So I think both those guys ha- could have a role this year. I do get the feeling Sear maybe is a little bit ahead right now, but I think Callum is more of your back-to-the-back uh, basket big man. And Sears, more of your athletic big man. So we'll see how that unfolds. All right, a few more shout-outs here. Life University, they're going to Austin P. And then Fisk. Fisk is taking on Tennessee State. Really looking forward to some Fisk basketball this season. All right, let's look at actual games that matter. So Monday, the, the schedule's pretty light again. But we do have some pretty good games on Friday as I look for uh, to November. Let's see, I don't want to skip skip too many things. Yeah, November 10th. All right, here we go. Arizona is at Duke. We know Philip Pilkington. He's a big Dukey, so you fired up for that game, Phil? Oh, yeah, 100%. Got to see Duke play last night. Uh, it was their scrimmage, so they won easy against Penbrook. But I'm excited to see them play against a real team, and uh, it's going to be fun. They got Dartmouth Monday, but uh, can't look past Dartmouth. Ivy League teams can't always jump up and bite you, even though Dartmouth's not usually one of the heavy hitters of the Ivy League. But uh, Arizona, the Wildcats, it's a home and home, so Duke will be going there next year. Really excited for it. How many is Caleb Love going to have on Friday? For, wait, who's Carolina playing? No, Caleb Love's on Arizona. Oh! Uh, I didn't even realize I that. I did not realize that. Yeah. He's scoring 30. Yeah. I'm put up like 45. He's going to take 40 shots to get there, but 100. Yeah. yeah, he'll miss he'll miss 40 <laughs> shots, but he'll score 30. A and M takes on Ohio State on Peacock. So if you still got your subscription from the Michigan ECU game, you can watch that. Big Ten basketball, most overrated conference in America. Ooh, UCF Miami. UCF be, Miami could be a good one. Uh, Miami buy stock now, everybody. Indiana State, Alabama. Kind of a decent game. Tennessee, Wisconsin, Ooh. and then late night, San Diego State, BYU. So I would say Friday is really your first 
really yeah you've actually got some good games and then uh what day is it uab plays clemson that'll be a very good game so friday is the first day in the american as well clemson travels to UAB, or i should say travels to uab to Asheville. yes this will be the uh harris cherokee center Asheville championship game clemson taking on uab there so from the american standpoint that's worth watching memphis takes on missouri in mizzou on Friday night at 9 o'clock, Temple takes on Navy. And Harvard battles Rice. UTSA goes to Minnesota. Charlotte and Liberty play in what could be a, a decent game. So Friday, again, ECU will play Campbell Saturday. But I think Friday we'll, we'll learn a little bit about these teams, Kaysen. Yes, I think that you – I'm going to keep a close eye on that Clemson game. What time is that Clemson game? It's a 9.30 tip on ESPN+. Plus. On what day is this? Friday. Okay, I'm going to keep a close eye on that because Clemson coming Clemson coming back this year is they got voted, I think, fourth or fifth in the ACC because they returned everybody and added Jack Clark, who is a phenom- phenomenal player. They still have P.J. Hall. Yes, they lost Hunter Tyson, but Jack Clark's going to go right into that role. And UA and UAB's got some pretty good pieces coming back. They have Eric Gaines, potential AAC player of the year, in my opinion. So I think that UAB is going to test them, and I'm going to find out who UAB is on Saturday night. Yeah, we'll know a lot more about that. And uh, again, that is in Asheville, a game in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, Missouri is Missouri supposed to be any good in basketball? Yes, Missouri is going to be very good in basketball. They were very good. They were very good last year. So we should know maybe how, because you know, we know Memphis is loaded. And they, they reload every year, but it's just a matter of how quickly can Penny get that talent to come together. I think we'll really find that out on uh, on Friday night. Did you hear his comment where he was basically like saying, he basically said the American schedule doesn't matter, our season is the non-conference schedule? I did not. I That's did basically not what he that. said no, recently. I, I hope all the other AAC coaches heard that as well. They take on in non-conference action Missouri, Michigan, Ole Miss, VCU, Texas A&M, Clemson, Virginia. So, I mean, and Vanderbilt. So, they got a tough non-conference, but I would say no matter how good they do in non-conference, they're going to have to win some games in the American to make the tournament. So, interesting comments there by Penny Hardaway. All right, Kaysen, four days away, man. Are you excited for some hoops? Cannot wait. Counting down the seconds. You ready for Fisk versus uh, Austin P or whoever the heck they're playing? I'm not going to I'm not gonna hold my breath any longer. <laughs> well, we're looking forward to it. We'll have Kaysen on. Uh, each week throughout the basketball season. At this point, I think we're both just ready to see some live games, some shots that count, and therefore we can start reacting to that because right now it's just kind of – we've been previewing this thing since the summer with our podcast. We've gone through every team in the American. We've gone through every player on ECU's basketball roster and uh, ready for some hoops. So looking forward to the season. All right, man, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Mm -hmm. we will uh, take a break. We will visit with Corey Glore. We'll switch gears. We'll talk football. Tulane coming to town. Can the Pirates pull the upset? We'll ask Corey his perspective on how the Green Wave are viewing this matchup. We'll visit with him on the other side. This is Hoist of Colors on a Thursday. Here there be Pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? Welcome back into the show on this Thursday, November 2nd edition of Hoist the Colors. We just talked a lot of Pirate basketball, college basketball, as the season set to tip off on Monday with Casey Romaley from Hoisted Colors. We're now going to switch gears, talk football with a good friend of ours, Corey Glore. He is the play-by-play voice of the Tulane Green Wave. He is on the live line now. And Corey, I got to ask, 
When you come back to Greenville, do you have a a place you want to stop first, or a uh, I don't know a person you want to see first every time you come back? Now, of course, you you got plenty of roots here that you set down, but do you have a go to spot, or is it just depending on where uh, your friends are? I will go to my most passionate and beloved Taco Bell, and I will just destroy just about $20 worth of food. They, they know be my name there at this point, and so I have to rekindle that relationship. And then if I see some people, I'll see some people. So Taco Bell, the first stop. All right, I like that. That's a that's a, that's a good spot. Uh, but I I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that, man. But uh, hey, you got to go where you got to where you feel most comfortable, right? Taco Bell is my longest uh, standing relationship. We're going on probably in the in the twenty year range of me and Taco Bell just being joined at the hip. So fair uh, enough. So it's it, uh, I mean when I when I leave this mortal coil, I, I will cater the funeral with Taco Bell. I will make sure of it. <laughs> Corey Glore is with us, play-by-play voice for Tulane Green Wave. And, uh, Corey, I, I want to ask, too, all right, so we'll, we'll talk about Tulane in a minute, but as a guy who has spent some time at East Carolina, you were the former play-by-play voice for football, but you, of course, were or, or play-by-play voice for baseball, I should say, but you were around football at ECU. You were around basketball at ECU. What do you make of it as, you know, you're an outsider now, what do you make of this ECU season one and seven? Like how surprising has it been from, from your perspective? We get to see it on a daily basis, but I got to imagine it's kind of a startling from the outside looking in. I think it's the most surprising thing that's happened in the league this year. I, I thought there'd be a, a little bit of a step back for ECU just based on who they lost offensively, but I, I didn't expect this. I, I, I thought they would be, yeah, I thought they'd still be in bowl contention uh, and, and kind of fighting for that sixth win in the last two weeks of the year. But uh, that's uh, with that defense and, and with the, with enough you know enough talent on the offensive side to I think make up for in some capacity what was lost. You're not fully replacing what what Holt Naylor's does or what Keaton Mitchell does, but you can find a way to piece it together. Um, at least heading into the year, I thought that was possible here. And, and so what, what's happened is uh, I, I don't think there's a bigger shock in the league to me than what's happened right now with ECU football. And, and you see bits of it, Stephen, like you see bits of, you know, especially defensively, a team that can put together something to win some games, which so just seems to, to fall apart at the end of games here. And then the, right now the offense is just not that trustworthy to move downfield and score. So I, I'm very surprised at, at how far this has gone the other direction. I saw a little bit of a drop, but I didn't see this. Tulane comes in at 7-1. and one. They have won six games in a row. Their only loss coming to Ole Miss when Michael Pratt was unable to play. So from a record perspective, it feels like this season has gone you know, just about as well as it could have gone, maybe even be 8-0 if, if Pratt could have played that game. But I know they've they've had some trouble finishing games recently, Corey. What do you make of the first eight games of the season for Tulane overall? You know, this is where this team thought they would be at this stage. It's a very different feel from last year where it just seemed to kind of surprise folks that they kept knocking off wins. But this is where heading into the year, everyone here said, no, we're, we're going to be this again. And so you're right. Seven and one, even eight and zero, oh was what they anticipated. Uh, and so what what has stood out to me 
is that they haven't really played a, a complete ball game yet. And you mentioned kind of struggling to close out games here. You know, that they struggled to come out of halftime with a real fire over the last couple of weeks. They have done terrifically in fourth quarters here to kind of make up for that. They've had to drive down the field the last two weeks to win games. And they've been able to do it because they have the veteran leadership, that they have the talent, and frankly, they, they know that they can, but that can be dangerous. You, you start playing with fire if you think you, you can lean on that in the last month of the season. So, you know, after the last couple of games here, Stephen, there's been almost a sense that this team's been slightly frustrated in spite of the win because they know they haven't played their best game yet. And it's really been the third quarters that have stood out like a sore thumb here. And so there's a desire to play a lot better, despite the fact that they're 7-1 and number 24 in the college football playoff bowl. Yeah, I was watching Willie Fritz's uh, meeting with the media earlier this week, and he basically said they're going to change kind of what they do coming out of halftime, almost more like a pregame warm-up, it sounds like, Corey, as far as trying to get some plays ran coming out of halftime. So what do you expect to see – you know, to start the second half on Saturday in Dowdy Ficklin, you know, before the ball is kicked off? Yeah, I mean, right now, that you know, throughout the, the last couple of years, really the strength coaching staff has run the warm-ups, and that's not abnormal um, coming out of halftime. But now it seems as though the, the assistant coaches are going to be far more involved, and they're essentially going to try and structure, like you said, what a pregame warm-up is in the short amount of time they have uh, coming out of halftime here to just try and, I think reset the gears a little bit for this group and, and try and get them more focused in because it's been a little bit befuddling this. You know, the last two games they coughed up big leads, but they had a poor start to the second half three weeks ago in Memphis and they were trailing at halftime. So it's not like you can really put your finger on, well, they're just getting complacent. No, there's just something that hasn't felt right coming out of halftime. And so, you know, it's the spot that Tulane is in right now where you can find. The, a flaw because there haven't been a ton, but find the flaw and try and fix it because they're in a position where, you know, they're seven and one in spite of what appears to be a, a pretty annoying trend right now for this team. And, and now you can address it head on here in the final four weeks of the season because, you know, now there are even more eyes on you with where you sit nationally. Corey Glore is with us, Tulane play by play announcer, former ECU baseball announcer as well Corey and Michael Pratt back again for uh, for another year at Tulane ECU has seen him each of the past three years uh, they're going to see him for a fourth consecutive year I found it interesting I was looking at some numbers that he's got the, the either the first or second highest uh, average target as far as throws downfield like when he throws the ball in the country it ranks first or second as far as pushing the ball down the field of all quarterbacks at the FPS level so he is consistently throwing the ball downfield a lot of that is play action, of course, because they run the ball so well. But, you know, has he gotten even better this year? I mean, where where's where's he continuing to ascend with this offense to where it makes Tulane so tough to top, uh, so tough to stop? What's been pretty astounding with him is that even though he he does throw deep balls and, and he's got three receivers that are are in the top ten of yards per catch here, and that no other American team has that. Uh, and so he's able to fire downfield, but he's the third most efficient passer in the country. And so, you know, there have been moments that have felt a little bit off the mark, but they've been very few and far between. I mean, no quarterback's perfect, 
but but he is in lockstep rhythm with really you know certainly three guys in the wide receiver core. A fourth has developed here in the last couple of weeks, and now tight ends are getting involved in the passing game. He started throwing to his running backs a little bit last week, and so now it's really started to open things up. But what Michael Pratt has been able to do is, yeah, he, he can go big play threats, but he's on target with them, and scary and you mentioned that the play action threat i mean that's the that's the the thing with the passing game here is uh, he is surgical in play action and so that that will be the point of focus here for Tulane is can they get running against this really good rush defense and if that starts to open up then the play action comes into the picture and, and no one's really been able to stop Tulane when play action has been thrown in so i mean his his leadership, his intelligence, he's had to drive down the field and win games here in the last couple of weeks, and he's done it with his legs as well as with his arm. Um, I mean, he can do a lot, and it's really starting to show up. So since he came back from injury, um, it, we're really starting to see the Michael Pratt I think we all expected to see this year. Looking at some of the numbers on Pro Football Focus, which I'll subscribe to for Hoist the Colors for Tulane, Corey, Sincere Hainsworth, you know, the we, we we talk about Michael Pratt a lot, but he's been kind of that rock in the middle of that offensive line for years now, too. He grades out among some of the best offensive linemen in the country. Makai Hughes, the freshman running back, has been excellent. So those two guys, as far as the run game, how important have they been to Tulane? Well, uh, Makai Hughes entered the year. There was a running back competition for this team, and really it was about five guys vying for it. And Hughes was probably fourth in line. Uh, heading into the year he, he tore his meniscus missed all of last year and, and so he was kind of a forgotten man heading into this and he didn't take the starting job until conference play started uh, in week five against UAB and, and all he's done is just rip off 100 yard games and he had 153 last week and, and the thing with Mackay is that he, he's only lost 12 yards uh, on all his carries and so he's the conference's leading rusher and he doesn't get it dropped in the backfield like when he gets hit the line of scrimmage Stephen, he'll just fall forward for two or three yards and so you know what he has been has been a bit of a surprise here offensively and that's allowed Pratt to really settle in and do a ton of damage here uh and so and you mentioned since your Hainsworth you know he actually he flirted with leaving last year he went through senior day and then he said no, I want to get my master's. I want to get this two-lane education. And his mom wanted him to stick around. And what he has done for what's a pretty veteran offensive line is irreplaceable. He and Michael Pratt have been best friends since they first started playing together here. Uh, and he is really, you know, for, for what Michael Pratt brings, for what Mackay Hughes has brought, Quan Jackson is a very good vocal leader here for the, the wide receiver core. But the center of it all is the center. And, and without him then Tulane has a very different feel for how this offense moves. He doesn't just grade out well, but he is kind of the vocal and inspirational leader of this offense. We talked in the offseason during our summer chat about, you know, losing the, the defensive coordinator, uh, of course, getting, you know, kind of poached just because last year's defense was so good. They make a good hire with Shield Woods and, uh, and or Shield Wood, and he's done a great job continuing this defensive success. And looking at some of the numbers, I mean, they, they've – you know they played a lot of coverage last year, but this year they're blitzing a little more. Lance Robinson looks like he's been excellent at cornerback. So, what has allowed this defense to continue to sustain that success under a new coordinator? The front four. I mean, what they've done on fit and run, 
stops here. I mean, they're, they're the second-best rush defense in the nation, allowing just 79 a game here. Only one team has rushed for over 100 on them, and that was UAB. And, and they have shut down some very good running games over the course of this year. It's not like they've just kind of seen cans coming at them here. They've seen some really good backs, and they've just closed it down. So those front four, it, it's Patrick Jenkins, it's Devin Deal, it's Darius Hodges, Eric Hicks, uh, you know Keith Cooper on the DN spot. And they really run about nine deep on the defensive line. And so they keep rotating guys in and keep guys fresh. Cameron Hamilton's having a great year off the bench at the tackle. And so they're, they're scary deep there. They, they have kind of fallen back a little bit in terms of the sack numbers and the tackle for loss numbers, but they just don't let running games get going. And so they make teams one-dimensional. And that has allowed the, the back five – to come up with some big play moments. And you mentioned Lance Robinson. He's got four interceptions, and he's been very, very good on that side of the field. But Jarius Monroe is probably the best cover corner on the team, and he doesn't get a lot thrown his way. And I kind of explained to him in practice this week that that means they're really respecting you, and they're going after your teammate. Your teammate's been just as good. And so um, when, when Tulane can make a team throw the ball, keep a quarterback in the pocket, and go downfield, then they come up with these big play moments defensively, and they turn a lot of teams away. But it all starts with the front four. Corey Tulane in an interesting spot here with the schedule. Back-to-back road games at Rice now coming over to East Carolina, and they're, they're big favorites in all these games, really, You know, leading to the UTSA game most likely. And Coach Fritz was asked a lot about staying focused, going 1-0 this week. Do you – do you feel like this is a you know I, you know it's a cliche thing to say, but trap game at all? I mean, I'm sure ECU will be motivated for this game. But do you feel like there is a a sense of kind of what uh, dangers could await them in Greenville if they if they don't don't show up ready to play Saturday? Sure, I mean I was I was explaining to people today, yesterday, throughout the week, um, you know, both here in New Orleans and and friends in, in Greenville here, like there there are ways there there's an avenue here for ECU to win this game in spite of what's happened this year with the Pirates and what ECU's strength is stopping the run Tulane is very good at running the ball and so you, you can you can look right there and see whoever comes out in the better end of that is going to be in the position to win this game ECU wants to keep this game in the 20s at the maximum here Tulane would like to get to the 30s here and if they are in that spot then they feel as though they're going to come out with a win and so I think all the talk around here about Tulane not really looking like a complete team yet, having these lulls in the second half, it's been, I'm not sure third quarters have been discussed more in, in Willie Fritz's life than what he's had to deal with this week and why this team has just looked so flat coming out of halftime. And so there's been a real honest drive this week for these guys to stay lasered in, stay focused here, and play a 60-minute game. And so they're going on the road where they've won eight straight, a nine-in-a-row total with the Cotton Bowl last year. They've loved playing on the road here over the last two years. They seem more comfortable on the road. And they know that they not just need a win, but that they need to actually come out with some fury here and sustain it and look the part. And so that's been the discussion this week. If they can get the running game going with Mackay Hughes against this rush defense, they feel that opens up everything for them to do offensively, and they want to cause havoc for Alex Flynn and try and keep him in the pocket, and if it's Mason Garcia, even more so. So there are avenues for ECU to win this game, make no mistake, 
Tulane got to make sure they don't just fall into these walls again here, whether they're leading at the half or not. He is Corey Glore. He's making the media rounds ahead of his return to Greenville once again. Corey, we appreciate the time. As always, man, looking forward to seeing you in Town Bank Tower on Saturday, but always great to catch up with you. I, I have saved the best for last of the Greenville media rounds here, Steven. You're my only one today. Everyone else wanted to talk to me yesterday, but not you. You got me all on your lonesome here today. That's how we do it, man. We scheduled it out last just for you. I appreciate it, man. But we'll see you Saturday. See you, buddy. That's Corey Glure. All right, we got to get our final break in. We'll come back. We'll wrap up the show with final thoughts. This is Hoist the Colors on a Thursday. All right, let's go. Back to Hoist the Colors with Stephen Ico. Drink up, me, Aussie show hoe. 194.3, the game. Welcome back in. Hoist the Colors. A few minutes left on this Thursday. Two days out from kickoff, East Carolina and Tulane. We've talked both basketball and football in today's program. We talked hoops with Case and Romaley. Just talked about the Green Wave with Corey Glore. Of course, has a lot of friends here from his time at East Carolina as the baseball play-by-play announcer. Miss him heavily, so glad he'll be back this week. And really, he's the only tie I have to Tulane. I mean, it's just these conference games are so spread out. It can get kind of uh, boring, honestly, at times, covering them uh, or previewing them. So it's always fun to catch up with Corey. Philip Pilkington is producing today's program. Philip Tulane's a 17-point favorite. I don't know why. I just have a feeling about this game. I'm not saying ECU is going to win it. I'm not even going to say they're going to keep it within a score, but it just feels like this could be the one. I don't know what exactly that means. I just have a feeling about this game that something something's going to happen. I think it just has to do with the fact that we saw the heart the boys played with last week. They could have easily rolled over after that horrendous performance against Charlotte, and they went out there against a much superior opponent in UTSA and played with maybe the most heart they've played all year and probably the best full 60 minutes they've played at least against an FBS opponent all year. So that gives you confidence that this team is improving. Unfortunately, you know, the record hasn't shown that. At the end of the day, that's what matters, but... Um, they're still together. I really do believe the guys when you you know you hear the locker rooms not turning on each other. So I think they're gonna be ready to play. They know uh, what's at stake. They understand that Willie Fritz is one heck of a coach, and they have a chance to knock off his program, a top twenty program, a team that won the Cotton Bowl a year ago, and uh, they're gonna do everything they can because kind of like you said earlier in the week, this is their bowl game. So uh, who am I to disagree with you? And Corey made the point. Look, Tulane loves to run the ball. That's kind of what their offense is based around. And ECU loves to stop the run. I mean, they stop the run at a high clip. It feels like it's a decent matchup. I don't love ECU's offense against anybody, but definitely not Tulane's defense. So the the problem is I just think Tulane may come out looking to air it out early, take some shots, and I think ECU is going to have to respond to that. But we'll see. We'll break it down a little bit more on tomorrow's program. Joe Sampson will be back with us. We'll make our picks against the spread. 17 is the number in favor of Tulane. We'll make our picks on that. Do we think ECU will cover? Do we think Tulane will cover? We'll do that on Friday as well as NFL college picks across the board. Okay, that'll do it for the show. Thanks again to Kaysen and Corey Glore. We'll be back with you tomorrow at 12 noon on Hoist the Colors. 
This has been Hoist the Collars with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 943thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcasts. We're back tomorrow with more of Hoist the Collars on 943 The Game.